When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 295, and today we are talking about books being released on January 26, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Patricia, hello! Hello! It's the end of January! How did that happen? It's simultaneously been, like, the fastest month and the longest month. (laughs) It has. It really has. It's been a very, very weird month. My mother-in-law was very sick, and so my husband went to stay with his parents, and I had to spend some time at the house alone, which I've never done before. Like, I've lived here for nine years, eight years, and I've never slept in the house by myself before. So that was very strange for me, because, like, when you live in an apartment building, it's like... When you hear a noise, like, you know, the noise is coming from inside the house. Right. But when you live alone and you hear a noise, it's like, the noise is coming from inside the house. (laughs) Clearly it's ghosts. Yeah. I did pretty good. But there was this one point, like, at, like, three o'clock in the morning where one of my cats, who likes to sleep, like, cuddled right up next to me with his head under my chin, he, like, sat up so fast that he, like, head-butted me. So, like, my teeth clicked. And I was like, what? And he just, all his fur stood up, and he put his ears back, and he was just staring out the bedroom door into the hallway. And I was like, I'm about to get ghost murdered. I'm about to get ghost (laughs) murdered. And he just did that for, like, a few minutes, and I was like, this is it. And then that was it. He's like, okay, yeah, no. Thank you. (sighs) Cats, man. That was was my exciting um, January. Lots of, like, being afraid to go to sleep, because I was like, is that ghost going to come back? You know, but... (laughs) (laughs) But it was kind of fun. I forgot what it was like to live alone. You know, I did it for a really long time. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's like no other noise. I can turn all these lights off. Like, I don't have to do anything for anyone else. It was interesting. In fact, I had the locks changed. No, just kidding. But yeah, so that was my January. Awesome. Mine, let's see. We are actually my wife and I were having a discussion about television because we don't watch a lot of television Mm -hmm. but we were also kind of in a lot of society too like they put this weird kind of books are somehow morally better than tv and i was like no they are like there's there's no moralizing here whether you watch a lot of tv or you read a lot of books and so as i've started to reconcile that with myself i found i've been able to watch tv with less guilt lately and So Nicole is very, she's not very experienced with watching like rom-coms or reading romance or anything like that. Not that I've read a lot of romance, but I am a human in the world who has been forced to read Jane Austen. So we've started watching Bridgerton Mm -hmm. 
And I'm able to just like predict what happens, even though I haven't read the books. And she's looking at me like I'm some kind, like I have some kind of weird psychic superpower. <laughs> and I'm like, no, there are certain like checkboxes things need to hit. Yep. <laughs> so I think like it's fun to experience a new genre with her who doesn't have a lot of experience with it. It's kind of exciting and silly. And I think I'm enjoying that maybe even more than the show. So that's great. <laughs> I have not watched Bridgerton yet. I mean to, but then I saw a spoiler on Twitter, like that I was not, I was not searching for them. It just rolled by while I was looking at stuff and I was like, oh, jeez. Yeah, I've been trying to like stay off. I'm like, I'm I'm just going to let myself enjoy it ignorantly. And then I'm going to read all the takedowns afterward. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So speaking of TV, we have books to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I have to say one more thing about television is that I, like you, did not watch a lot of TV when I was younger. And then as an adult, I didn't have a TV for a very long time. And I was like, TV? No, I only read books because I was that person. Uh, so because we've been quarantining at my house, I've been living in my office. And so I've been watching television on my computer while I'm in bed. And I'm, and I'm finally like experiencing watching TV in bed. And I'm like, this is so much fun. <laughs> I keep looking around like anyone else is going to be there. I mean, like, can you, can you believe this? Like, I'm like this is TV so decadent. It's, yeah. it's very exciting for me. <laughs> so. Anyway, that's my exciting January life. Uh, so we are going to talk about books now, but first we are going to hear from a sponsor. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Okay. We're going to change it up a little bit this week. Patricia, you're going to start it off. Absolutely. For my first pick, I have Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America by Ijeoma Oluo. This book actually came out in December, but sometimes December releases slip through the crack and I did not want another episode of this show to go by without my talking about this book. Content warnings for racism, genocide, suicide, swatting, and more racism. This book, my jaw was on the floor almost every chapter. She really, really goes there and explores and interrogates things that always seemed a bit off to me, like some men's obsession with cowboys and westerns or the obsession with football. I'm talking about American football here. But let me backtrack to the introduction where the author dissects white supremacy and details some of the ways in which it works according to design. White supremacy is not a broken system. The system is working according to design, and she makes that very clear. She also makes it clear that there are always people who are going to play ignorant and that, no, with this book, she is not arguing that every white man is mediocre or that any race or gender is predisposed to mediocrity, but Our society focuses on preserving white male power regardless of skill or talent. She calls us all out, or rather calls us in, to examine the complacency throughout society that maintains this system. I learned a staggering amount of history from this book. Like I said, the chapter on Cowboys and Buffalo Bill left me absolutely speechless. I know I am not the only one who has a father, uncle, in-law, or grandfather who romanticizes cowboys and westerns, and this chapter hit really close to home and has shed some light on many things that I thought I was familiar with. And there is so much more in this book. She writes about the centering of white men in social justice movements, including, but not limited to, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. She talks about the assault on higher education and how as soon as people of color were allowed to attend universities, suddenly the opinion of higher education took a dive. This book just made my head spin. I'm definitely going to have to read it more than once because it was an absolute cyclone of information. Oluo lights everything on fire. Everything. She leaves nothing untouched. This book is so extraordinarily good and necessary, and I rarely say that people must read a book, but this book, it's it's a must read. It's Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America by Ijeoma Oluo. I haven't read that yet. I have it here. I'm going to bump it up maybe for this weekend. Maybe that's what I'll be reading next. It's real good. So my first pick is something completely different. It is We Could Be Heroes by Mike Chen. I adored this book to pieces. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little tired of superheroes. I feel like the last few years it's been like, let's do superheroes with everything. And while there is a lot of great stuff still being done with superheroes, you know, I've just gotten kind of tired of them. But this one is so fantastic, and I think it's such a wonderful, different representation of superheroes. It's about two people, Jamie and Zoe. Now, separately, and without knowing this about each other, they both wake up in apartments that they don't remember renting. They have no idea how they got there. 
They they have basically have amnesia. They don't know anything about their lives. There's just like notes around the apartment being like, everything's cool. You know, you're going to be fine. But they also discover that they have superpowers. They have special powers. And so like, not only do they not know who they are, but they have these abilities. Jamie has the ability to read people's minds and also erase people's minds. Zoe has super speed and super strength. And the novel is kind of like, what would you do if you suddenly had superpowers? Would you use them for good or for evil? Now, for Zoe, she uses her powers for good. She works as a food delivery person, but also fights crime like a vigilante sort of type character. Because she can run super fast and she can catch everybody and she can stop everything. And so she's trying to, like, fight the villains in the city. Jamie, on the other hand, he decides he's going to use his for evil, but... He only wants to use his abilities for evil for, like, what he considers victimless crimes. Like, he's in this city. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know how he got there. He's not thrilled about the situation. So he robs banks because he goes in, he gets the money, and then he erases everyone's memories in the bank. So they don't even know who took the money. And he's trying to, like, save up. He's going to go live somewhere, like a tropical island or something, and get away from all this when he can. Because it's a weird situation. He doesn't even know who he is or what's happening. So they both go to a memory loss support group and something happens there and they discover like they have the same circumstances and it brings them together. They become very close friends. They're like good buddies. And as they're hanging out, things are happening, like situations are getting weird in the city and they're also starting to recover tidbits of their memory that shows them that maybe their past is linked somehow. And together, they're going to fight a new enemy that threatens their city. It's so funny and kind. I loved their friendship. I loved their friendship. They're so funny talking to each other. Like, the dialogue is really hilarious. And it's like, asks, like, who would you choose to be when you don't know who you are? You know, because not everybody would be like, I have these superpowers. I'm going to help people, you know. And, And Jamie at first did not. And it's just... I, even, like, the villain in this book has their reasons for what they do. Like, it's never, like, cruel or violent in a, you know, mean kind of way. Like, there's, like, superhero action scenes. But everybody's just, like, kind as all, is, like, the word I keep coming back to. I just, I adored it to pieces. I would love to see this as a movie. It is We Could Be Heroes by Mike Chen. That sounds so cute. It is so cute. Yeah, I was, now that you asked that question, I was like, I feel like I would use my superpowers, whatever they are, to make good trouble, like mm-hmm. Congressman John Lewis said, like I would, I would be Robin Hooding all up in here. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know, it depends on what my power is, but, you know, I would try to use it as much as I could to read books, basically. <laughs> That's it. I was a guest on an episode of the Nerdette podcast a couple of months ago, and we were talking about Addie LaRue. And the host was asking the guests, you know, if you had immortality, you know, would you want it? And their their other guests were like, no. You know, I, I would want it to end at some point. And I was like, yes, I just want to keep reading. Yes, definitely. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's the only way I'm going to get through this TBR. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was like, what, why is that even a question? Like, of course, yeah. I just want to keep reading. <laughs> For my next book, I have something completely different. It is Patience and Esther by S.W. Searle. 
This is an adult erotic graphic novel, explicit depictions of sex. I want to make that very clear. This comic is probably something you do not want to give to a child. This is also a lesbian Edwardian romance. I love the author's attention to historical detail and really appreciate the author notes at the end of the book. One of our protagonists, Patience, is Scottish, and she has gotten a job as a maid at a manor house in the English countryside. She has never had a maid job before, and she is very nervous about her inexperience. Her family back home, mostly siblings and cousins, she is not married, doesn't have much money, and they are depending on her sending home some of her earnings, so she has a lot of pressure put on herself to do very well. Our other protagonist, Miss Esther Bird, is also on the housing staff and is the head housemaid. She takes patients under her wing, and they are also roommates. We learn that Esther's father was British and her mother was from India. Of course, Patience and Esther fall in love. They have lots of sexy sex. In addition, it's just a really lovely, lovely romance. It's multicultural. It's fat positive. There are people with different body sizes and shapes. And I truly appreciate seeing drawings of nude women that have stretch marks because they're really normal and common and we don't see it enough in erotic artwork. Also, since this is Edwardian, so the earliest part of the 1900s, there are a lot of historical touch points woven in like women's suffrage. And throughout is the shunning of the notion that a woman only has worth in relation to the man she marries or the man that is her uncle or father. Not to mention the intricacies and complexities of class differences and struggles. And yes, there's also uh, a little bit of exploration of gross colonialism. This story is so heartfelt. Yes, there is a happy ending. The artwork is gorgeous. Everything is smooth curves and softness. And the color palette is just absolutely dreamy. The sex is steamy and the love is lovely. I really, really enjoyed this book. It's Patience and Esther by S.W. Searle. It's really good. I've read half of it. I haven't finished it yet, but. <laughs> I adore it. I adore it. I really love the cover illustration. It's really cute. Yeah. So my next pick is My Brilliant Life by Aran Kim and translated by Chiyoung Kim. It's a 2011 Korean novel that was made into a film in 2014, and now it is finally in English. And I have to, just before we start, say that oh, I'm going to talk about my personal life. I'm sorry. I read it a few months ago, and when I read it a few months ago, I did not know that I would be watching my mother-in-law's funeral on a Facebook stream a few hours before we recorded today. Uh, so I'm kind of sad, and this book is super sad, and so please forgive my brevity or and or any sobbing that I might start doing. Um, so get your tissues ready, not just me, all of you, because this is a very sad, beautiful story. It's about 16-year-old Aram. He has an accelerated aging disorder. If you have ever seen the movie Jack with Robin Williams, which I am not saying is good one way or the other, but... That is the same idea. He has the disease that causes um, young children to appear as though they're very, very old at a young age, and it is always fatal, and they never make it to their 20s. And so 
Aram sees life as a gift. And he also wants to give his parents a gift. He's 16 years old now, which is the age that his parents were when they had him. They were both 16. It was an accidental pregnancy. And Aram wants to write his parents' story for them. So that's this book is in four sections. And the first part is about his parents and their, how like they met when they were 16. His mother got pregnant. How her father set them up in this house on the property. And how... They made some really great choices, considering how young they were. And then they have Aram, and they're told that, you know, their son is not going to live very long. And they still just fill him with joy and happiness and this love and appreciation for life that, like, even they don't have. You know, they're sad all the time thinking about how Aram is going to die before he's 20. Uh, But they also teach him this. And so he knows from a very young age and accepts accepts this. And he loves life. Aram loves life. He loves to read. They read to him all the time. They share stories. And he loves hearing about stories, but not so much his own. Like, he knows how his story is going to end. And he doesn't expect it to be different. He doesn't have any hope that something's going to change for him. He just wants to enjoy everything and everyone around him while he's alive. And through his parents and through the books and the characters that he reads about, he has this appreciation for life like no other. I mean, he's such a splendid, lovely character. And he's almost always happy. Like, the only times we see him really upset is in like a little bit of a flashback. He learns that he is losing the vision in one eye. And the doctors kind of tiptoe around that and tiptoe around how they speak to, like when they're speaking to him about what's happening to him. And his parents have never done that. And so it irritates him. Like he doesn't, he doesn't like that. And then there's another section in the book where he goes on this television show and tells his story and talks about his disease. And then people can like send money to help pay his hospital bills. And he sees these comments on a post about his appearance on the show and people are being really mean and he doesn't understand it he doesn't understand why people would waste the time and energy to be cruel you know when life is amazing and fleeting and because he just loves every bit of life it's such a gorgeous novel and yes it is so sad it is so sad but it's also inspiring you know it makes you think about things it makes you think about how without certainty. I mean, we all know that we're going to die, but many of us don't know when that is. Without that certainty, we all sort of let fear and jealousy drive us at times and let it rule our lives. I mean, people spend their time like being mean and actively hating people, groups of people. I mean, it's so sad and it just gives you so much to think about. And I'm going to stop talking about it now because I'm really sad. (laughs) But it's such a beautiful novel. And I don't, even though I keep saying the word sad, I don't want you to not read it because I think everyone should read it. It's inspiring. It's called My Brilliant Life. And it's by Aaron Kim and translated by Chi Young Kim. You did good, buddy. Thank you. That sounds incredibly hard and beautiful at the same time. It's so good. So for my next pick, I have, again, something completely different. This is The Knockout by Sajani Patel. Quick content warning for a parent with a serious illness. This contemporary YA novel has so many things. Mean Girls, a holy festival, forbidden romance, and face punching. 
Yes, I said face punching and torso kicking and throwing elbows. Our protagonist is named Karina Thakar. She is in high school and she is a phenomenal Muay Thai fighter, which is not something you see in a lot of Indian girls like her doing. Muay Thai is Thai kickboxing. I grew up in a martial arts loving home and I still live in a home that appreciates martial arts. So I was really, really excited to read this book because girls who can fight hold a special place in my heart. Karina has two very loving, very supportive parents. Her father, though, is very ill, and they are in a lot of medical debt. Karina does a lot of the caretaking and housework because her mother works more than one job to keep them afloat. Karina's mother had a bit of a falling out with the local Indian community. This is set somewhere in Texas, I believe. And it's unclear if the Thakar family is truly ostracized or if they've stepped away from the community themselves. Either way, they're facing their struggles mostly alone. Muay Thai is Karina's outlet for everything she feels. She is a very private person and thinks that people will judge her for being a girl in Muay Thai, so she doesn't tell anyone about it, even though it's a huge source of pride and joy for her. Her best friend Lily knows, and so do her ex-best friends. Oh yes, there is some major ex-best friend drama. Right at the beginning of the book, two things happen that can change everything. First, Karina is asked by a teacher to tutor her computer science classmate, Amit, which is a bit weird because he's up for valedictorian, so why does he need tutoring? Also, he's really attractive. Karina's parents won't let her date, and she also has no time for boys. And also, also, if she lets anyone get close, she may have to be vulnerable for once, And then on top of all that, she believes she wouldn't have a chance because Amit is what she believes to be the stereotypical perfect Indian son. I did say two things that happen that can change everything, but I'm not going to give it all away. So I will say the second thing has to do with Muay Thai. I really enjoyed this book. It has such a big heart and it did make me a bit misty eyed at a few parts for good reasons. It's The Knockout by Sajni Patel. Okay. Before I tell you about my final book today, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. 
So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. All right. So this next book is another one of those 2020 casualties of publishing that got pushed to this year. But now it's out so we can all celebrate. It's very exciting. It is The Swallowed Man by Edward Carey. And I have to tell you, I read this over a year ago, so please forgive me if I screw up some of the details, but I think I got the basics down. It's the story of Geppetto. Why does that name sound familiar? Because Geppetto is the father of Pinocchio. So, you know, I just thought Pinocchio was a Disney movie. I think I was like well into my 20s before I realized it was actually a book, too, yeah. written a very long time ago. Had no idea. I was like, Disney movie. I've read Pinocchio in the original Italian. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, then this book is for you. It's dark. <laughs> it, it does. It seems like a dark story. It seems like a lot of the Disney movies were based on stories that are very dark. And this is just, this is a very small book. It's like 100 something pages. It's just a beautiful story about Geppetto, not Pinocchio. And, you know, he's a lonely woodcarver living in Italy, and he wants to have a son. He has no wife, and and he wants a son. And so he carves himself a son one day, like you do, and it comes to life, which he was not expecting. So he screams, and the, the carving runs away, because he doesn't know what's going on either. You know, and then he comes back the next day, and he names him Pinocchio, and he's going to be his son. Except... Pinocchio is kind of really naughty. He's really naughty, and he's not at all what Geppetto was expecting, and he vexes him at every turn, and he makes up stories, and we all know what happens when Pinocchio makes up stories. His ears come off and fly around the room. No, just kidding. His nose grows. And so he's, like, always making up stories. And this infuriates Geppetto. You know, this is not what he was expecting. And he gets mad all the time, and they fight often. And eventually, Pinocchio runs away, and he doesn't come back. And now, Geppetto is sad again, because he realizes that even though they fought a lot, he loved him. And so he decides to go look for him, and, long story short, winds up in the belly of a whale. Again, like you do. And so now, Geppetto is stuck inside the belly of a great fish. Uh, There's a boat in there. This fish, this whale, had swallowed a, a boat at some time. So there's kind of like these supplies, and I can't explain to you the logistics of how the whale is, like his stomach is, but for some reason, (laughs) he's in a part that's like dry. So like the boat's dry, the supplies are dry, he has candles, he has food, and he he knows this isn't going to last forever. And so he's just stuck in there, 
kind of going over the regrets in his life, um, thinking about lost loves, thinking about, you know, how he would change things if he was reunited with Pinocchio. It's a fantastical tale. It's just lovely. It has these amazing illustrations. Edward Carey is just an incredible illustrator. He does these fantastic black and white illustrations, these pen illustrations. He did the Ironmonger trilogy, which is one of my favorite series from a few years ago, and did all the illustrations in that. He wrote Little. If his name sounds familiar, he wrote the book Little. That was about um, Madame Tussaud, which came out a couple of years ago, and also did illustrations in that. Full disclosure, Edward Carey is a friend of mine, but I did love his books first before I got to know him. But also, he's super rad. He drew my husband and I a picture of Tom Waits for a wedding present, which is, it's just amazing. I mean, he's amazing. This book is really fun and sad and sweet. And it's called The Swallowed Man, and it's by Edward Carey. That sounds totally up my alley. It's really fun. Like I said, I read Pinocchio in the original Italian in high school, in in Italian class. And then in Florence, there like Pinocchio is everywhere. Like in Florence, Italy, mm-hmm. that's like there are shops with like all the like the puppets and like specifically the Pinocchio story. And he's just all over the town. It's really fascinating. You had Italian classes in school. I'm so jealous. Mm, I went to Catholic school. Oh, oh that's amazing. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I've always wanted to learn Italian. So, yeah, I had I had Italian all four years of high school, but then I also took three years in college. Wow, that's so cool. So. I took Italian lessons when I was like in my early twenties, like from a lady who worked at a bakery next to where I worked. She gave Italian lessons, but I don't. I went for like six months, I think, and the only things I really knew how to say were "I have a headache." And your mother gives it away. That's basically all I had left from that. But someday I would like to learn again. (laughs) That's amazing. That's really all you need to get around any country, I think. Exactly. So for my last book, I'm going to talk about The Girls I've Been by Tess Sharp. Okay. Bunch of content warnings for this one. (laughs) Like like a book full. (laughs) Like, it's, it's the whole book is a content warning. <laughs> um, child abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, gun violence, extreme other violence and mutilation, lots of trauma. This book is amazing. Oh my God. So much suspense triggered so much anxiety. I listened to the audiobook at twice the normal speed, and I found myself literally, like, clenching my fists and holding my breath while listening to it. I was just so completely taken with this story. We start with Nora O'Malley. Nora is at the bank with her ex-boyfriend, Wes, and her current girlfriend, Iris. There is a lot of tension because something interpersonal happened right before this scene that we don't know about right away. They are all three there making a deposit of some money they raised for the local animal shelter or something. While they are at the bank, two men show up with guns to rob the place. Or so it's thought they want the bank manager, but the bank manager isn't there. He got in a car accident that morning. So now you have two really angry men with guns whose plan is going sideways already. Aside from the two men, there are three adults present, the bank teller, a customer, and the useless security guard. There are the three teens, Nora, Wes, and Iris. And there's also a kid who's about 10 years old or something. 
the bad guys decide to double down. They're not going to give up easily. What they don't know is anything about anyone they have hostage, especially Nora. Nora was raised by a con artist. Much of her childhood was spent becoming whatever little girls her mother wanted her to be in order to con criminal men out of their wealth. Nora was a chameleon, an actress, and very, very dangerous. This book is told in time leaps back and forth between the present to the past, between what is happening in the bank. By the way, Nora's sister, Lee, is also trying to rescue everyone from the outside of the bank. And it switches to the telling of the stories of the girls Nora had to become for her mother's cons and the survival skills she learned in each of those experiences, as well as the heavy doses of trauma that came from them and her mother. This book is about found family. It's about running from your past, about learning who you really are and about the relationships that can be formed when traumas are shared. It was incredible. I just devoured the whole book. Highly recommend The Girls I've Been by Tess Sharp. Okay, one, I was super jealous that you picked this before me. I was like, I'm going to go break that down because I love this book. And you had already claimed it as your own. (laughs) It's so intense. So intense. And two, it's going to be a Netflix series with Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be so good. Yeah. It's so good. So those are our new picks. What are you going to read next? I am going to read something else that comes out today. It's titled Work Won't Love You Back by Sarah Jaffe. I also am going to read something else that comes out today, uh, which I'm, I just just started. It's uh, Just As I Am, a memoir by Cicely Tyson, which has the most amazing cover photo. Stunning. I mean, it's a picture of Cicely Tyson. She's, if you don't know who she is, she's had this incredible acting career. She was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. She was the first Black woman to win an Emmy. I mean, she's been nominated for Oscars. She's just, like, incredible. And there's this, illust- this not illustration, it's an, it's an image, it's a photo of her when she was younger, and it's just, it. you stop where you are and, and stare at it, because she's so beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. And that is it for us today. Whew! We made it. I feel like we've, we talked about a lot, even though it's only been like 40 minutes. I feel like, you know, we got in a lot of stuff. <laughs> we, we got in a lot of stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, can you say something in Italian for me, please? Uh, I put you on this. I put you on the spot. <laughs> like Gekosa? Like what? <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Well, um, so there is a cricket in the original Pinocchio, and it is the I think it's the Grillo Parlante, which is the talking cricket. That's pretty great. The book's been around forever. I am going to spoil this part of Pinocchio with you, which Pinocchio, as Liberty said, is very naughty and. I think he kills the Grillo Parlante. <laughs> what? In the book. Oh, no. Like he tries to be his conscience and oh. <laughs> he's not. He's not good. Another Disney cover up. Did the Disney cover up, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Now I have to investigate this as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> there was somebody else. It was like a, what was I watching or listening to where someone was talking about how they even though his name is Jiminy Cricket, they didn't realize he was actually a cricket. They thought he was a grasshopper. Oh, what was this? It was probably an episode of Psych or something, but I think it was somebody <laughs> on Twitter talking about this. 
They're like, I just caught on to that fact. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes people longer than others. So thank you for hanging out with us today on this wildly informative show. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Sink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com, as well as find us online. Patricia likes to hang out on Twitter and Instagram at the info file, which is T H E I N F O P H I L E. I hang out mostly on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today and the other horrible things that Pinocchio has done, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Ciao, everyone. Ciao, everyone.